0: Friends, welcome to season two of the Making Room on the Pew podcast, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. I'm your host, Bailey Welch-Pomerantz, here with my new co-host, Reverend Sarah Welch-Pomerantz, aka my wife.
1: If you're going to be sassy to me, I'm going to be sassy right back.
0: (laughs) That's that's a a good way to start this uh, season two of the podcast, babe. I
1: think it is. Get ready. (laughs) Buckle up.
0: <laughs> all right. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? Just finished reading, so you know I haven't read for school in such a long time that I was making all these notes and underlying and everything. So if someone goes and looks at these books later, they're gonna be like, "Did she actually just re underline every single printed word?" And the answer to that is yes, I did.
0: What book are you reading for school?
1: Um, I'm reading. Oh, it's downstairs, so I don't have it in front of me. But I'm reading a book about how to become a m- multicultural, multi ethnic uh, church. Um, and I, I guess we can put in the notes of the podcast like who wrote it because I really do want to give them a shout out. Okay. Um, And in the first chapter alone, uh, I've already like pinpointed where my congregation is, where I am. Um, it's calling out a lot of things about how the white church in America is dying because we refuse to address things like racism and gender and LGBT issues. And we kind of stay quiet and we say things like, all lives matter when people say black lives matter. And I think that's important to call out. And what I love about this book in particular, it's written by a Drew alum, all right? Um, and it's a husband and wife team who are interracial and are pastors and they bring their own unique min- ministry experiences to this book. So it's sort of like they're bringing their best practices in and talking about how to do it. And there's a lot of really good uh, like question and answer stuff that I do at the end of the chapters where Hmm. I'm like answering questions about myself, answering questions about my congregation. And it feels very much like a safe thing to be doing versus like, I'm kind of out there on my own trying to figure this out. I feel like I have two really great experts kind of helping me figure this out along the way and asking me really good questions that I can think about.
0: Hmm. I didn't know that that was written by a husband and wife. Yeah, we
1: we definitely need to link that in the description uh, to give them a shout out, especially for any pastors out there who are about to embark on some seriously complicated work. I recommend this book already like through chapter one, and I found it to be
0: uh, enlightening. Do you think pastors listen to our podcast? They don't. They should. (laughs) I don't know what else you're listening to. I mean, seriously.
1: So, I don't know. It's just my opinion.
0: All right, so let's give our listeners a little uh, overview of what this new format is going to look like. Um, So if you've been with us or with me, I guess, since the beginning of the podcast, you know that it just started out as me interviewing like authors, pastors, change makers, and that was a lot of fun. But my vision for the podcast just kind of started to shift based on a bunch of different factors. And one of the biggest reasons that I decided to ask Sarah to come on here with me, um, is that we? I am so humble. We have really amazing conversations, <laughs> and I feel like everyone else should get to hear them, also.
1: And also, too, I, I bring a little bit of uh laughter to this podcast. You know, I have a very unique sense of humor that kind of balances you out. So, you
0: are unique. That is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm raising the stakes on this one. So, yes, you are. Um, so we've been having these really um, amazing conversations because we started walking around our neighborhood in the evenings. And this was kind of the one time that we, like, put away our phones and we talked to each other and talked to our neighbors. And we ended up having, like not unusually deep, but, like, surprisingly deep conversations, I guess, Mm -hmm. about a a lot of theological um, topics because, I mean, probably mostly because I am, like, so deep in my um, deconstruction of the faith that I grew up in that I just have so many questions. Like, during the past couple of months of us doing these walks, we have talked about, like, um what like election yes if you know if god specifically chooses certain people to go to heaven and certain people to go to hell
1: we also talked about predestination and the preposterous idea of double predestination sorry to any calvinists out there but
0: yeah oh we talked about um the five solas and five point uh calvinism Mm -hmm. because i grew up united methodist which is pretty calvinist right Mm, I feel like that's kind of tied in. I think maybe, maybe your, that's perti-
1: just your particular one was. I don't know.
0: Okay. So we, anyway, the point is, is that we've been talking about a lot of um, really hard things that not a lot of people want to talk about. And because we are in a healthy relationship, we have been able to talk about these hard things in respectful ways, even when we disagree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I think that's really important to show people. Plus, also, when we posted about this on social media, people seem to be really excited yeah. to hear our conversation. So if you don't, then, you know, don't listen. That's yeah. fine, too. Turn, <laughs>
1: turn it off. And I will say to all of our listeners out there, um, you should hear these conversations and then like feel free to start asking your pastor's questions. because. The misconception that I want to erase is that pastors are A, infallible, B, know everything and C, are uh, not able to be questioned. Um, You shouldn't just always believe a pastor blindly. You should think about your faith, tear it apart, put it back together, but also don't be afraid to go up to your pastor and say, hey, I don't understand why this is. Don't be afraid. And I think that you and some of the questions that you've asked me are not afraid both because I'm a pastor and I'm your wife, to say, like, hey, what you're saying doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, and I think that's, I mean, that's thats a good point, is that you are my wife. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a little different. Like, I, I think that I did grow up in a uh, religious setting where we were, I don't know, I feel like we were encouraged to ask questions, but only ask questions about certain topics. Mm-hmm. And if we ask questions about the wrong topics, then... And all, i mean it was
1: terrible and all your questions better lead back to jesus
0: right exactly yes. so um being able to ask someone who is a pastor or mm-hmm. seminary educated or whatever um hard questions has been really good for me and i feel like everyone else should be able to ask the people in their lives those questions too
1: yes absolutely um and if your pastor will not answer your questions You need to really think about that relationship you have with them. And pastors, if you're listening to this and you shy away from your people coming to ask you hard questions, you need to take a hard look at yourself as a leader and say, why am I avoiding this vulnerability to have a conversation? Because that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's a
0: good point. Um, So speaking of things that you and I disagree on... (laughs) I, to Can't be wait. clear, before we start naming all the things we disagree on, we do agree okay. on the, like, important essential parts of faith. Like, oh, we do agree on the um, the Trinity. Mm-hmm. We agree on, um, like, the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus.
1: Yep.
0: Like, all of the important things we do agree on. However,
1: mm-hmm.
0: there are other things that we don't agree on that I don't think are that big of a deal, but are fun to talk about.
1: (laughs) Well, I have to disagree with you on how big of a deal you think this is, but go ahead and tell our listeners one of the things that we are disagreeing about currently.
0: Well, I feel like since we have known each other, we have disagreed on creationism versus evolution or the Big Bang Theory or whatever it is that you agree that is not biblical. So I'm not sure how you... (laughs) (laughs) First
1: of all... The fact that you can even make an argument to me that dinosaurs and people lived at the same time is preposterous. So, I'm willing to forgive you for saying that to me when there's like evidence upon evidence to say otherwise. But we do disagree on that because you when I first met you, you told me that you believed that dinosaurs and people
0: lived together. Have you never been to the Creation Museum in Cincinnati, Ohio?
1: There would be absolutely you no should go. <laughs> There would be no way I would go to something like that. No it's offense. It's so cool though. But but at the same time like, with creationism, you can have the, the concept of the Big Bang Theory and having an understanding that God was responsible for that.
0: Read Genesis.
1: No. <laughs> but, like, it is preposterous to believe that dinosaurs and people existed. I mean, how do you have people living? The dinosaurs didn't eat them? Explain that to me.
0: Well, maybe it was before the fall. <laughs> so then they wouldn't have eaten each other. That doesn't make any sense.
1: Like, if I'm a dinosaur, if I'm a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and I'm the apex predator... And I see, like you know, tiny little human. I'm gonna eat you, or I'm gonna step on I don't you. Know. I, I do You're, know.
0: <laughs> You're there. Neither were you. <laughs> I'm just saying is that it could, it could be. There's no way. Carbon dating proves that it didn't happen. That. Carbon dating is guessing. No, it's not guessing. Anyway, so we we actually are going to do a whole episode <laughs> on creationism. If I was a and... listener,
1: I would buckle up and get yourself a nice beverage to listen to that one.
0: Yes, so that one's gonna be fun. Um, what else do we disagree on? That's a big one.
1: I think our first one that we ever also that we disagreed on at the same time was God's gender. Um, I have always referred to God. Uh, as gender neutral because I do believe God is gender neutral and you have always used the male pronouns for God. Yeah. And um, where I went to school uh, for my uh, seminary degree, I went to Drew Theological Seminary and they have a commitment to inclusive language, which is how I got into the habit of using gender inclusive language. Uh, I did grow up in the Catholic church and I did grow up going to synagogue periodically. And obviously both of those institutions use the male pronoun for the most part. But, you know, when you and I started formally talking about it, like, you really did believe God is a man, and I don't believe God has a gender. So we've...
0: Well, it's not that I believed that God is male. I just, like, that's what was most comfortable to me, because that's what I had always used in reference to God. But I did write my entire book... For those of you who don't know, I wrote a book called Flickers of Hope, and throughout the entire book, I used gender-neutral language.
1: And if you haven't bought it, you need to buy it. I don't... I'm just plugging it shamelessly. (laughs) Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Buy the book.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, um, that's true. We disagreed on that. we still sometimes disagree on whether the Bible is the infallible word of God.
1: Yes, we do disagree on that periodically. Or not.
0: Um, We disagree, I think, also,
1: too, on... Different approach to ministry, I think. um,
0: Yeah, but it's not like we disagree on it. I think that we just, like, come from different Mm -hmm. places. Like, just because I think that pastors shouldn't have to go to seminary doesn't mean that I think that your seminary education is not helpful or valuable.
1: Right. But, you know, does that change the way you think that pastors should be able to... to, Does that change how you feel people should be called to ministry, that they have to have an education?
0: No, I don't think that they should have to have an education. There you go.
1: I mean, for me, I've kind of evolved in my thinking. I think it's important, and I think it's probably case-by-case basis, which if you asked me 10 years ago while I was still in seminary, I would tell you firmly, no, you must go. But I see how... Uh, people's life experiences can change it, but I do think the caveat is, is if you're out there teaching and preaching bad theology or things that are dangerous, like, you need to be corrected.
0: Right, but there are people who go to accredited seminaries who preach and teach really bad theology because that's what they were taught. So, right, you know, it's not only, it's not just, like, if you go to, theo- or to seminary, mm. you automatically are a good theologian.
1: No, I, I think being a good theologian takes a lot of work and a lot of self-exploration and a lot of humility to say like hey i don't know everything so i need to really do a lot of deep work i mean that's one of the reasons why i'm going back for my doctorate of ministry is because i have a lot of work to do to be a better minister for the task that i have at hand here in cedar grove and um i think that if i was a more i don't want to say full of myself but if i was more full of myself i would just be like you know I'm a millennial, and I can, like, read all this stuff, and I can lead people, but I I actually need some help conceptualizing and having these conversations, because one of the hardest things for me as a pastor is I end up, like, shying away from these hard conversations sometimes, and whereas for you, when you see me shy away, you really push at me a lot. Does that bother you? Yes and no, because, like, it's easy for you to push at me, (laughs) because you don't have to, like, deal with them later. Like, we have a wonderful congregation, but, like, pushing can be tough. Um, and I think that goes i think that goes for everyone, yeah any congregation, any pastor would tell you like their congregation is wonderful, but having them do hard stuff is going to be hard and any pastor who says otherwise you're lying, you are lying to yourself and to everybody else, but you know I think challenging a congregation you have to really like you got to work yourself up into it, and especially for pastors you know we are constantly worried that people don't like us, we're constantly worried about our job security you know it it's we have especially in the u c c um I don't have, like, a, a bishop that could come and have my back, yeah. quite frankly. it's I'm kind of out here on my own. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little challenging. I, I agree that you're right. There are some times that I definitely need to push, but it's, like, living out what that push is. And I think right. that's why I'm doing this program at Drew, because I need to learn how to do that and not feel so insecure. Yeah. So.
0: Or uh, your congregation is just going to hear all of these podcasts and then – then that's like pushing them without actually pushing them.
1: Right. But that's not fair because, you know, they can, <laughs> they do listen. And hello, Community Church of Cedar Grove. Um, and they do listen and they should be pushed, but they shouldn't hear it like just solely hear it. It's a, it's a journey and, and they're not on this journey alone. I'm on it with them and we're all getting pushed together. So you're such a pastor. I know. Well, you know what? So you take the pastor out of the church, but. I don't think that, I don't know what the fill is. That's just the word that way. <laughs> Wow, that was, that really like crashed like, and burned. That nice was like That was like the train getting to the station and then like not getting the last final feet <laughs> so people could get on, so.
0: Oh man. Oh, all right. So we're going to be talking about all of that. Creationism, the Bible. Um, ministry. Ministry, education, everything here on the podcast. And actually, if you guys have something that you want us to talk about, let us know. Yeah. Leave us a comment, or if you are, like, a real-life friend, just text us or tell us or something.
1: (laughs) If you're a real-life friend and you haven't told us something to talk about, I'm going to have a problem with you, so.
0: So, real-life friends, get on it.
1: Yeah, get on it, real-life friends. Um, You know who you are.
0: So, we're going to be talking about all of that, Um, and that's a big reason we chose to have sarah on the podcast too um and then another reason is just because of the actual name of the podcast making room on the pew we want to make sure that the church and god and the bible and the gospel and all of it is accessible to all people Mm -hmm. that's a big um theological viewpoint that we share and a big i don't know we could say that it's like a family um what's the word i'm looking for
1: Family dynamic?
0: No, like a family, um, I don't know.
1: So um, as a family value?
0: Family value, yes. There we go. I'm going to have to cut all of that out until we get to family value. Leave it in. Um, <laughs> Leave anyway. it in. So making all of this accessible to all people, um, that's the whole point of this, is that Jesus is for all of us, mm-hmm. or church, or religion, all of it is for all of us. And honestly, I mean, there have been so many gatekeepers of the faith, of people saying that they can't be involved in the church or really all of Christianity um, because of so many different factors, because of their sexual orientation, gender identity, um, age, culture, race, immigrant status. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just so many things and identities which make people a minority, which causes them to not be involved in the church. And this is something that is particularly important to both of us because mm-hmm. we have both had really hard experiences of um, being excluded from the church as a whole and even specific to church leadership yep. um, because of our queerness, right? I mean, mine was for my queerness. Yours was, I know a lot because you're... Queer also
1: queer, young. young woman. I could go on and on. So I mean, I think for me, I mean we're we're talking about like how we've been excluded. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually feel excluded from a faith community until I decided that I was gonna continue to pursue ordination. That's so interesting too. I know well you've if if anyone out there who's really met my fa- my parents and my sister, you'll know that they are a very affirming. Fa- I came from a very affirming family. Like yeah. my sister, my mom, and my dad, um, they embrace people for who they are and don't look at the differences of their. Um, they don't. S- they they see differences because to say like you're colorblind or whatever is is wrong. But they would never. They don't. They're not prejudiced or racist or homophobic in that way. And I'm very fortunate. And like when I came out, it was pretty much. You know, everyone, my sister, my mom, my dad already knew I was gay. They were just waiting for me to come to grips with it. And when I did, it was sort of like they embraced having a gay daughter and they're very proud of it. And in that regard, I think my mom, who always told me she knew I was gay, probably would have pulled us out of any schooling or any teaching from a Catholic church that would
0: have said otherwise. Um, yeah, because you were raised both Catholic and, and Jewish. Jewish. Your mom's yes. Catholic and your dad is Jewish. Yes. I just wanted to clear that up because you talked about synagogue earlier. Yes,
1: so my dad is Jewish, my mom is Catholic. But also my father's family is a very progressive Jewish family, yeah. and they they would not have tolerated intolerance in that regard. So I am very fortunate that that never happened. I did not experience any kind of truly... Um, What's the word I want here? Because we're talking about being kicked out or being limited from God.
0: Exclusion.
1: I, I was not excluded until about two to three years into my uh, life after seminary. That's like your on ordination my process or, on my ordination process. That's when I started to feel excluded because of perceived uh, insults towards my um, my age, towards my I don't want to say gender presentation, but how young I looked. Um I yeah. feel your, your
0: maturity level or matru- how they felt.
1: They felt my maturity level. Um I think I felt excluded and um not discriminated against, but ex- definitely hard excluded because I am a woman. Um I'm gonna call this out. I have seen uh white, cisgender straight men in my association get through the process way faster than mm-hmm. myself and several of my uh queer colleagues. Um I also felt a lot of exclusion, too, because of um, my status as a survivor of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. I think that um, in my ordination paper, which we can link if anybody really wants to read that, I talked about my um, journey through survival of sexual assault and, and drug abuse and how is how I understood God's grace because I'm sitting here today and there are so many people who did not survive those things. So many women and men who have been sexually abused and who are drug addicts who didn't uh, yeah. go through that process and I experienced when I wrote that in my paper uh, real pastoral um, malpractice and injustice from um, a lot of people in power who uh, really demanded a lot of me in that moment and said that I needed to get up and say certain things which I wasn't going to say and it was a true misjudgment and of I, I felt like I was misjudged in that moment and then when I it was brought to my attention or I'm sorry, when I brought it to the attention, my pastor did handle it well, but the systems that were above her didn't and nothing was ever done. And so, and then, well, I'm sorry. And
0: no. I, well, no, no, I just, I think that that is, like, you make a good point of, like, everything that we're talking about here is not because people or, like, any specific person has done anything, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they have, but, like, not, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say here, like this is really all about the systems and yes. about the history of exclusion in the church. Right. Um, and how we can somehow make it better. Right. And the people who,
1: who are the gatekeepers for me personally, there are periodic times where I don't hold them accountable because they're just doing what the system told them to right. do. Mm-hmm. And what I had wished for all of them and what I do wish for a lot of them who are still in that, that role is that you seriously examine why you're being told to be a gatekeeper And who are you being told to keep out? Because most of the time you think you're keeping out the right people, but you shouldn't, you don't have a right to do that.
0: Right. Well, and that kind of links into my story Mm -hmm. too, um, of when I came out as gay because, um, when I came out as gay in high school, I was like a big leader in my church and I led like vacation Mm -hmm. Bible school and I was on the missions committee and I led worship and I was really, really involved um, and then was asked to step down from all of my leadership positions and the person who asked me to step down, I had a very close relationship with and I was really confused and really hurt by it. Um, but she was only doing what she was told to do. I mean, even, I mean, recently, like within the last couple of months, and this was what, 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, she reached out to me and apologized and like talked about how like she was just doing what she was told to do and that she knows that it was wrong and that it's really like been hard for her, um, knowing like that she did something that was wrong that jesus would not have been okay with right um so i think that's a a good point that we need to make sure that that yes people can certainly do wrong things right but so much of it links back into the systems of oppression and the people the, you know, one or two people in power right. telling other people what they have to do, even when people know that it's wrong. Or even putting people who
1: are power hungry in, in positions to keep people out. Right. You know, one of my biggest um, critiques that I've ever given um, ordination committees or boards or, or, or you know, adjudica- adjudicatory groups is that yeah. you need to really look at the people you put on. Like, don't just put someone in a role to fill a role. Put someone on there that's going to look at this the right way. I mean, I had, when I first started my ordination process in 2007, I had an associate pastor uh, who uh, she did spiritual direction with me and bless her heart, um, she had her work cut out for her with me because I'm really (laughs) terrible at spiritual direction. But she said to me, seminary is not what's going to be the problem. Like, you're going to be fine. It is ordination. And the journey itself, like, you have to believe in the process itself and believe that God brought someone and has a valid call. And going through that process for as long as I did, like at no point when I was alone with God in my thoughts did I ever think that it was, that I was wrong. It was only when I was sitting across from people who were hammering me over minutia that I thought to myself, like, this doesn't feel right.
0: Right. Or people who felt like you should believe a certain aspect of theology Mm -hmm. that you just don't. That is not like a make it or break it. Like if you don't believe this, you're not a Christian Mm or sort of issue. Like it was a very, they were very secondary doctrines Mm -hmm. that people kind of elevated into this like essential doctrine place. And I think that.
1: And this is a lot of churches, like where they feel that they need to, and and it goes across the board, where they feel like they have to hammer you and they have to be the people who, you know, kind of say like, okay, out of this, this, and this, you are given the keys to the kingdom. And quite frankly, that's wrong. And that's sinful behavior. Just like your pastor had no business keeping you from being in church, just like the ordination committees who put me through the rigor for things like comma usage and paragraph choices Mm -hmm. and who didn't like one word and felt like that would mean that I would be a bad pastor, have no business doing that. Like if you really want to get pastors to, to be there and, you know, we're, we're experiencing actually a lot of people not becoming pastors because it's just not a vocation that grows all the time. Right. Um, you need to, uh, help somebody. You need to foster their growth. You need to be there. I think one of the other things too, that I experienced was there was a, no one really understood why I had to work full time. And quite frankly, I was told by an associate conference minister about 10 years ago that the church is not my mother, so don't expect a handout, which couldn't be more offensive and false and anti- mean, and anti-gospel, quite frankly. Like, Jesus said that we share and we help and we're a community together. So how is that? And then to say, like, you're on your own, but do it on our time, our timeline, but do this, do that. It was like every roadblock- roadblock they could throw in front of me they were gonna throw in front of me because they believed that that was their responsibility, and that's yeah, wrong.
0: They, right, or they thought that there was one path to ordination, and that mm-hmm. you should only go on that path like I mean they must know nothing about millennials, like if nothing <laughs> else, we are like new path finders,
1: yeah, you and know, I, and I think too like. There's a lot of people who come into ministry second, third career, right? Yeah. Who who have had 20 or 30 years plus experience in doing something else and then find that God awakens them later on in Mm -hmm. life. And then they get to bring whatever experience they've had prior to that into their ministry, and that's well and good. But when you believe that that's what ministry has to look like, that it has to look like a person in their 50s and 60s, it has to look like a person who's white and male or white and female and cisgendered who only uses certain pronouns – then you're wrong, and that's when you start to limit the uh, wonderfulness of God's call. And God doesn't call uh, a homogeneous human being. God calls whom God calls. And I distinctly remember reading First Samuel three, and God called Samuel, and Samuel's a young kid, right? God yeah. didn't call God didn't call the king right then and there. Right. God called a small kid. And if you look through your scriptures, God never calls who you think you're going to get. Who's going to get called?
0: Right. I mean, and we, I think that we don't think enough about the people God calls mm-hmm. when he call. sorry when God <laughs> see when God calls the person like mm-hmm. we think of Paul right but we don't think of Paul as Saul we think of King David but we don't think of David the little kid with the slingshot
1: or we don't think of any of the amount of women who are called to do great things like Esther Judith Ruth Deborah, all of these women who God raised up to do things. And you're like, God didn't pick the man four feet from them. God picked that woman in that moment. Or even Jesus, our brown-skinned Palestinian uh, savior, born in filth, who was a refugee and an immigrant and somebody who the Roman Empire murdered. Like, that's who God, God didn't choose Caesar. God chose to come in the form of Jesus. So, a carpenter's son. A carpenter's son. So yeah. think about it that way. And, you know, and I want to make sure that our listeners understand, too, because some of our listeners will be people who I know from my own vocation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not indicting you as a person. I'm indicting the system. And you need to examine your own role in that system.
0: Well, and that's a good idea. We should really point out for um, our listeners who are in the majority, our mm-hmm. listeners who are privileged, who are white and mm-hmm. educated and male and okay. um, older and any of these things that wealthy, like any of these things that make us have privilege. I mean, sure, you and I talk about how we have been othered because of our sexual orientation or because we're women. Mm-hmm. But we also recognize that we have a great deal of privilege. Like, we are white, mm-hmm. we are educated, we are not, you know, destitute. No, I mean we're solid middle class right now. Right. So, th- I think that it's important to point out that we recognize our own privilege, and that we are encouraging all of our more, pri- like, privilege also leaders. privileged right. listeners to recognize their own privilege as well, and to embrace
1: your shame. I think that's the other thing too, right? When you had your um, that your youth leaders email you and tell you like how shameful she felt like embrace the shame of doing something wrong and seek true reconciliation and I think that's what she did and you had a, a tremendous amount of grace which by the way you know you also when you're seeking reconciliation when you wrong somebody you're also asking a tremendous amount of grace from that person so be aware that you're also asking a lot of emotional labor from a person which this person did from you just like I've had it asked of me and know that, like, it's okay to feel shame. It's okay to feel guilt. You're not infallible. You make mistakes. And when you make a mistake, own it. And move from that, por- that place and learn from it.
0: Right. So. Exactly. So, yeah, that's Sorry. a good point. Sorry I to wanted... get off
1: t- topic.
0: No, but we, that was a good thing to point out. Especially since this is our first episode in season two of this, um, of you and I talking like this. Right. And we're going to be talking about a lot of really hard things that I do want to encourage all of our listeners, like if you are privileged, try really hard <laughs> to to kind of push down that defensiveness that you're probably going to feel. Um and just listen. Just listen and learn and love and like we'll Yeah. All like, get through it together.
1: And it's and it's gonna be hard. I mean we still experience that too. I mean there's been plenty of times where like a gut check where it's like, wait a minute um, I feel guilty and shame, so my reaction is gonna be defensiveness and shut down. But we're working yeah. through that process along with you. So it's not like we have it down pat but we're encouraging you all to do what we've been doing as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I do also want to point out that you and I talk a lot about Um, queer-centric experiences and, like, female-centric experiences because, I mean, we are. We are queer and we are women, so we are going to be talking a lot about that, but we do want to acknowledge that there are, I mean, so many different things that people are othered for. I mean, um, immigrant status. Race. Race, culture. Gender identity. um, Gender identity. There's so much. Um, But we... Uh, probably are not going to talk about those Mm -hmm. at least not as much because those aren't our experiences and we don't feel like we should be telling other people's stories though we are hoping to have some people who's yes who have experienced those things to come on and talk about because those are really really important things and that's Um, and that's something that's
1: important and I've seen a lot of pastors specifically white cisgendered pastors try to speak from the um the black experience or the queer yeah. experience like that's not your place open your pulpit and allow those people to come in and speak right um and that's what we're going to be doing I mean I I don't feel comfortable ever telling a story that isn't mine mm-hmm. so I would much rather and this goes out to any person who ever wants to come and preach you are hmm. welcome to have my pulpit
0: um, she wants a break
1: I do want a break but <laughs> <laughs> if you are a person out there that is a uh a person who is different in any sort of way. And you want to tell different
0: abilities, different
1: abilities, different, different, you know, I
0: just thought of that's a big one,
1: (laughs) different abilities in terms of anything. I think it's also important to acknowledge that both of us, mental health, both of us have mental health, uh, struggles that we deal with effectively, but that doesn't mean that like we, we don't know the scope of all mental illness. And you know, if you are feeling compelled to preach your story, uh, community church of Cedar Grove's pulpit is yours for that Sunday. just, shoot me an email and let me know you're coming and I will reorganize everything because the more we, we talk from other people's perspectives, the better it is that we learn. And especially for the church. Yeah. So, you know, no story cannot be told. Uh, every story needs to be told over here. Right. Uh, so, but we're only going to be telling ours because we're not experts on anything else. And to say and act as experts is really uh, disingenuous you're and, irresponsible. and ir- very irresponsible. So,
0: yeah. Okay. So, Um, I do want to talk a little bit about what making room on the pew for the church misfits and outcasts Mm -hmm. um, actually is like, what does it actually mean Mm -hmm. to make room um, on the pew for these people or these um, communities who have been othered? Because I mean, we can sit here and talk all day long about how we have been othered and excluded from the church And then tell people to make a difference. But if we don't tell them how to make a difference, we're not helping anyone. We're just like talking a lot.
1: Right. I mean, honestly, how to make a difference, I think first and foremost is listening. Yeah. I think a lot of times, I mean, and I'm, I'm learning this too, um, as a pastor is that you need to listen more and speak less. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you go back to the idea that, and you probably know this quote better than the late, great Rachel Held Evans said about the gospel being. Um, she you got,
0: Yeah, she said, um, what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in.
1: Right, and I think if you come from that perspective that Jesus didn't put qualifiers, so why are you, mm-hmm. um, I think is a first start. And I think, too, given the climate we, we are in, um, separating out uh, hyper-nationalism from the church and knowing yeah. that the church's real stance is to stand in opposition of country to the state to the state yeah. you know Jesus said the empire. Jesus said give to Caesar what is Caesar's mm-hmm. and he was referring to taxes but mm-hmm. um, that was not a um, an idea that you, you put religion in the state you know and I think with
0: also Jesus wasn't American
1: yeah Jesus wasn't an American and you know everybody's really upset that like this new version of the little mermaid that uh, Halle Berry and I'm, I'm I don't know if it no her last name is Bailey Bailey okay Halle Bailey so my bad sorry about that um, that she is a woman of color and it's not a redhead. And I saw someone on Twitter saying, like, oh, no one's telling my story as a redhead. Like, first of all, you're not in a minority. Like,
0: Did you see the um, tweet that everyone is saying, like, everyone who's mad about, um, about the new black Ariel, like, wait until you find out that Jesus wasn't white.
1: Right. I mean, (laughs) honestly, like, I have seen her on, um, Gronish, Grownish and she's hilarious, and I think that she's going to do a really great job, and I think I, I applaud Disney for yeah. for really, um, I just applaud Disney. I think like, there's no other way to put it. But I like, mean, that
0: was a really bold decision, I think, is what you're trying to but, say.
1: But if you're out there thinking, like, oh, I'm a redhead and no one tells my story, like, please, give me a break. Like, you don't... Like, Y'all have a soul anyway. You don't... <laughs> Yeah, go back and read some of the medieval writings about yourself. But I'm like, so
0: sorry, my sister's a redhead. No. I promise I'm not being mean. But
1: like you're not being persecuted because of the color of your hair. Like, so get over yourself. I'm sorry. Get over yourself. Yeah she's gonna do a great job. Disney knows what they're doing with this, and if you have a problem with that and you don't wanna listen to us any further, then I'm sorry, not sorry, that you're not listening anymore. <laughs> but like, get over yourself. But
0: how do we get over here on this topic? Oh making We were her... talking about making room. We need we need actual things that Right, people can do to make room. And I like that you were originally, Mm -hmm. before we got off on this (laughs) tangent, that you were talking about listening. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been listening to Heather Avis' new book Mm -hmm. um, called Scoot Over and Make Some Room. I like Like, that. Right? That's a great title. I am trying so hard to get her on the podcast, so fingers crossed on that.
1: If you're listening, come on the podcast.
0: Heather, are you there? Um, No, so in her new book she um she talks a lot about her family being othered because she Mm -hmm. has three adopted kids Mm -hmm. two have down syndrome and one is half african-american and half guatemalan and the rest of her family is white and so she talks a lot about um about Including like right. how she wants her, all of her children to be included at all stages of life, and she was talking. I think it was in reference to her middle daughter. Truly, they have this mantra for her um, that they make her say, and it is, "Avises are listeners, learners, and lovers." There you go. And I think like that's such a perfect thing for this as well. Be a listener, a learner, and a lover. Right,
1: and especially pastors out there who feel like. You can speak about racism and homophobia and transphobia and class and other issues, and you don't occupy that space. Like, please stop speaking for people and listen. Please.
0: Yes. So that's, um, so that's a good one. Let's make it easy here. So we're saying be a listener, learner, and a lover. Don't speak for other people. Um, be willing to admit your mistakes. Yes. That's a good one. Ooh, it's going kind to of thunder. Ooh, soon. that was thunder. Ooh. I wonder if you could hear that.
1: If you can, a thunderstorm is coming over us, so
0: <laughs> we're gonna
1: have to wrap this up quickly. <laughs>
0: um, okay. What would did you just say? Uh,
1: and admit when you're wrong.
0: Admit when you're wrong. That's a big one. Um, I would also say, um actually being open to Mm -hmm. any kind of person who could walk into your church or your faith community because a lot of times like we say that we are welcoming to everyone but are we actually like are our actions are we actually ready for someone right for anyone to come in yeah and that kind of goes back like i think of um our friends from peace islands our local muslim group here in new jersey um we were, like, at church and you were preaching and we were all just, like, having a regular Sunday and these two Muslim women who wear hijabs. Am I saying that right? Hijabs. Hijabs, um, Walked in and, I mean, people were not necessarily comfortable. I mean, we we weren't uncomfortable, but everyone was like, what in the world is happening? And that's a really good lesson. Like, if we're saying that we're actually open to anyone. We need Mm -hmm. to make sure that we are actually like emotionally ready to have anyone in the world walk through our doors.
1: And I want to point out too, when that happened, we had just put up a sign on the front lawn that said, everyone is your neighbor. And like instantly that's what happens. So when you're ready to do that, you know, God is going to call your bluff. And that's what it is. And I think also too, especially if you're a person of privilege, if you are a white cisgendered Uh, straight straight person. You need to acknowledge the fact that you have grown up with a lot of privilege. That you have a lot of internalized racism. I mean, and ableism, ableism, and uh, understanding about gender and sexuality. And that doesn't mean that you are racist, whatever. And doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Doesn't mean, but you have benefited from it. And just acknowledge that and understand. Okay, so now I have to work through that. I mean, that was hard for me. Um, but I'm kind of like. I had to get past it. You have that. been working at it. I, I for work a at while. it hard, and I know not have a lot of colleagues that do that. But like, come to grips with it. Stop getting defensive about it, and like that'll help you do the the work that we're talking about about making room on the pew. Is is saying like, as a white person, wow, I benefit a lot from how slavery uh, was the greatest sin, one of the greatest sins after you know. In addition to taking land that didn't belong well, to us,
0: we don't I benefit guess. from slavery. Yeah. We benefit from, from the system, the
1: systems that have been in which, place with slavery. Yes, since. which mm-hmm. so. Understand that you benefit, indirectly or directly. Yeah. And know your role in it and help dismantle it. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, lots of rain coming. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Or can we sign off for today?
0: Um, The last thing I want to say about um, doing, like, real things to make room on the pew is... um, well, for everybody, I was going to say for all the lay people, but it is for pastors too, is that this is not just your pastor's job. Oh, no. And I think that that's really important to say because at least in uh, churches, I guess probably not all churches, but in a lot of churches, majority. in the majority of churches, the congregation kind of expects the pastor To bring new people in, to make sure that they have the right marketing or or whatever it is. Like, Mm -hmm. they expect a lot from the pastor. And this work of making room on the pew for the church misfits and outcasts is not just the pastor's job. This is for every person who's involved in the church, whether you're a member or you just come every Sunday Or you're a human
1: being, it's your responsibility,
0: right? Whether you are a deacon or a leader in the church or in the choir, or if you're just that person who like sits in the back of the, of the sanctuary in the same pew every single Sunday and you say hi to maybe a couple of people and that's it. Like no matter who we are, this is all of our jobs. Yeah, Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, friends. If you enjoyed this episode or it positively impacted you in any way, we love if you could take a few seconds to give us an honest five-star rating and review. It really means so much to us and it helps others find this content too. Until next time, this has been Making Room on the Pew.